podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! It's Steve Blue's Washing, a Derby County podcast, delivering another post-match pod immediately after Derby's disappointing 2-1 defeat in Wales. I'm Chris. Hello again. It's great to have you listening. As always, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, alongside me, as ever, our fellow long-suffering Rams, Richard Gutcher. Good evening. Hello. And Tom Martin's dragged himself into the fray as well. Are you all right? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Chris. All good. So the table's have thoroughly turned, haven't they, on Derby's admittedly small playoff chances. Uh, Two more defeats have left that late top six charge dead in the water. Uh, We'll look at what went wrong against Cardiff and Brentford. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry, we are going to have to talk about goalkeepers as well. Uh, But don't forget, Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. But uh, well then, this was the game Boys, uh, this was a game we all had our eyes on. This was a game that was billed for a while as a bit of a playoff decider. But after not really having enough to challenge Brentford, we let, we gave ourselves a, an outside chance. Uh, but we're, we're once again the architects of our own downfall again with the goals we conceded in uh, in South Wales. It's fair to say, Coach, that is a playoff dream probably well and truly over, isn't it? Yeah, so it looks so. And as you said, definitely architects of our, of our own downfall, I think. You know, if we got if we got into that Cardiff game, perhaps straight after the Preston match, I think we you know, we would have been flying on, on high form. And and at the Derby Cardiff game, I think Cardiff definitely were the better team tonight. But there wasn't. I don't think there's much between those teams in terms of quality and and players. And if we were in better form rather than coming off the back of three really tough games against Forest, West Brom, and Brentford, I think we probably would have given Cardiff more of a game and and, and may well have beaten them. But yeah, I just think it was a you know it was a tough running. We knew it was a tough running. We knew that we'd have to win the first three games to give ourselves a chance. We did that fantastically well. You know, really good performances. But once we came up against better opposition, it, it killed us off. And I think we just weren't ready to go against uh, to to go again against Cardiff tonight. Tom, this is going to sound massively like um, I'm only saying this now because I can. But is it now all right to say that? I didn't really want to get promoted that much behind closed doors anyway. Um, I know it's, you know, people will just say, oh, well, you're only saying that because Derby have, have balls it up and lost three in a row and our form's gone out the window. But I guess you take promotion however it comes and you don't turn it down, especially when you've been in the championship for more than a decade like Derby County have. But let, let's be honest, it, it would have been too too soon for a young players who would have been completely out of their depth along with most of our squad. Uh, at least now we can take stock on this ridiculous season. Um, it would have been, you know, for me, football is all about experiences. It's all about those memories. Um, what would those memories have been if we had one at Wembley watching live from the sofa? I don't know, but we're not, you know, the, the, the facts are we haven't been good enough. But at least now we can build with something resembling stability, I suppose, Um as we said a couple of pods ago, had the same manager for two pre-seasons 
in a row and hopefully come out bigger and stronger in September for 2020-21. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head, to be honest, Chris. Um, it would be weird getting promoted. It would have been the most Derby County of promotions, I think, uh, having gone through all we've gone through over the last decade. Um, but equally, I think I'd have probably said to you in January or February, uh, Rooney was talking about playoffs when he first joined and he almost dragged us there. Um, but I do think the Derby team isn't, hasn't been good enough this season. It was a bit disappointing tonight, more disappointing than uh, Brentford on Saturday for me. I don't think Cardiff are very good. I agree if you cut. I think they're two fairly average teams and Cardiff are in a bit better form than us, unfortunately, and they got the result this evening. Yeah, as you said, you take promotion when it comes, and we've discussed that before in the pod. And it's, it's, you can't doubt the fact that it, the squad would have needed a major overhaul. The players, young players, wouldn't have been ready, and and we would have had to basically block their development or get be completely humiliated uh, for for nine months in in the Premier League. And we've done that once before, and it wasn't a lot of fun. But I don't want. I, I think I don't think there's much point in talking about that because even if we had got in the playoffs, the way that we've played against the top teams this season didn't give me any hope whatsoever that we would have been able to challenge against a, a Brentford over two legs or a Fulham over two legs or even a West Brom over two legs. So, yeah, I think if it's great to look forward to next season. I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. I think there needs to be a really, really clever pre-season. That's probably one for a, another another podcast, possibly. Um, but, you know, for me now, I know it's boring to talk about it and we want to talk about stuff on the pitch. For me now, it's all about getting a CFL charge wrapped up, um, preferably this season, rather than letting it impact next season. And hopefully we can put a really bizarre, you know, entertaining at times, but depressing at most times season behind us and move on to, to things on the pitch next season, give it a real go. So if we talk about the game that we've just witnessed, uh, we're recording minutes after that 2-1 defeat at uh, at Cardiff, Neil Harris's side taking the lead through, uh, through one blunder number one, it has to be said, from a, a, a Jason Knight back pass of all things, which was um, intercepted by Junior Hoyler, who, who rounded Kellaroos, slotted in for 1-0. Then a fantastic team move from Derby. Absolutely brilliant team goal. Um, back to front in a few seconds for the equaliser. And then, um, of all things, blunder number two from um, from Wayne Rooney, of all people, caught dawdling on the ball inside his own half. Cardiff pick, picked, uh, picked up possession and, uh, and finished well in off the post past Kellaroos. Um I think the frust- most frustrating part, Tom, was for 15 minutes in the first half, we looked absolutely brilliant. We played, we, we looked incredible for about five or 10 minutes either side of the goal. But the most frustrating bit is that that was the only time when we looked, when we looked good in the game. If we'd have even extended that to half an hour or an entire half, I'm sure we, we would have given ourselves a better chance of getting something from that game. But we, we had a great purple patch, but not for anywhere near long enough to have deserved to get something from that game. Therein is the problem, Chris. We are a mid-table championship team who can play well for 10 minutes and top six championship teams play well for half an hour and the very best championship teams play for 45 or 60 minutes week in, week out at their top top level. And that's that's the difference, isn't it, really? Um, there, there are some promises and some glimpses there of a, a Derby side which could be exciting uh, and decent, but we don't see it enough at all and and the goal was fantastic that um the ball into martin the flick around the uh, around the corner for um for sibley as he drove forward maybe a bit of too heavy a touch but then he retrieves it well slides the pass into knight who finishes brilliantly that was the one time that we broke the ball through the lines and went forward with purpose in the entire game for me like yes we played some nice stuff in between that but we just have we just sit with the ball all the time. I think we had sixty one percent possession tonight, and 
we can have 61% possession all, like for an entire weekend. We don't look like scoring uh, because we don't move the ball fast enough and it's not penetrative. And teams are happy to let us have that ball at the back and then they pounce on the mistakes that we make because they know we'll make them. Um, you mentioned the two there, but Matt Clark almost made a howler in his own box. Like, If, if you're going to make two or three mistakes a game, you're going to concede goals. And if you're going to concede goals, you've got to be great going forward. And we're pretty good going forward, but we're not good enough to make the amount of mistakes we do at the back. Um, and I'm not a I'm not an advocate at all when I'm saying this of lump the ball forward, get it forward, Derby. Like I like the fact we play slowly. I like the fact we build up from the back. I think that's great. There's a difference between building up from the back and becoming stagnant from the back. And at times we are stagnant because we go left to right without going forward, and it takes us too long to get into that middle middle phase of the pitch and into that final third to really pressure a team. And even when we do get into the final third, we don't then hold a team and pin them back um, because. We're not good enough to move the ball at that pace um, and to pressure pressure aside and keep them pinned back defensively. So I'm a bit disappointed by tonight's result and tonight's performance, to be honest, despite the fantastic goal we scored. I think uh, I think what the difference has been really the last few the last few games compared to the first few games after lockdown is we've come up, obviously we've come up against better teams with better attacks. There's no doubt about that. But also teams that are much more organised in their pressing, much more organised in their defensive shape. You know, Millwall and Reading tried to kind of... Millwall sat off us and tried to defend their own half and did so, you know, not with much degree, not not with much success because simply, you know, found pockets of space in the box and scored. Reading did so a bit more effectively, a slightly higher press and made it a bit more difficult for Derby. But then you saw Nottingham Forest do essentially what Millwall did, but just 10 times better, starve starve Derby's uh, attacking players of any space whatsoever, make Rooney and Berg collect it in a, deep in their own half. And then you saw from West Brom and Brentford a much more aggressive pressing style, which really put the back four under pressure and really pushed Bird and Rooney out of the game. I mean, Brentford was a bit more space to play with. And then and then tonight, I thought Rooney definitely got the treatment tonight. He was always had two players on him, um, very close. And, and although he got caught out for the, the second goal, he almost got caught out a couple of other times and, and Bird was pretty quiet as well. So I'm not I'm not too worried about that for next season because I think Koku and Rooney on the pitch and Koku, Koku on the training ground will know how to get around that. And and the more time that the squad have playing together and hopefully with some some added quality in, in those four, further forward positions who can also kind of interplay a bit quicker and, and move the ball along. And, you know, obviously a new centre-back or, or two will help. So, you know, Bielik is good on the ball. You know, Curtis Davis, I thought, had a good game defensively tonight, but he is, you know, a much slower on the ball with a more limited passing range than George Evans. So it's frustrating, but it's a learning curve. And uh, I think Max Bird would have learned a lot from the last two weeks in particular and, and how to work against uh, a press, which is really targeting himself and his, and his midfield partner in, in Wayne Rooney. Yeah, I can see that Bird really struggled over the last couple of weeks. Um, he hasn't quite been as prominent uh, and dominant with his passing. Not often he uh, gets the ball and he he really sort of like puts the opposition under under pressure with a uh, sort of raking passes uh, left and right. And he hasn't been doing that at all. Um, probably, I would say since the since Preston game, maybe even before there, I didn't think we were performance wise we were great. We were solid against Preston without being flamboyantly great. Um, and I just think it's been a, a Something that's been building up over the last two or three games. Just um, we just seem to have been pressed back, and we've got into a bit of a shell of ourselves, holding on to the ball and protecting it, but without really going anywhere. And then then it allows teams to push onto us. And if we don't push them back and put them under pressure with players making dangerous and thoughtful runs, 
um, looking for the ball, then and of course they're going to feel comfortable with the shape they're holding and then feel more confident in pressing us. And that's what's ended up happening. And we've been caught by individual er- errors. Koku can't legislate for that. The individual players know they've made mistakes, um, but we need to cut it out quite simply because if we don't, we're going to end up finishing um, mid-table again in the future. And that's that's the really frustrating thing. I have every confidence that we will cut those out. They're young players who are making these mistakes in the main. Uh, obviously, we're standing, not withholding Rooney tonight. But yeah, it's still frustrating watching it. Yeah, a bit of a weird one for Jason Knight. He uh, had, the, had had quite a roller coaster in the first half. He was the player who gave the ball away for Cardiff's first goal. He uh, sort of got it in from, from from the defender and yeah, was was facing back towards his own goal and hit it without really looking or, or checking who was around the goalkeeper. Um, but then, yeah, well and truly made up for it by getting on the end of a fantastic layoff from Sibley, who had got on the end of a brilliant little flick from Chrissy Martin on that counter-attack. He had that amazing explosion into the team, then uh, sort of flitted in and out of the team for a bit. He seemed to be benched a little bit more often while Sibley and and Bird were the, the certain starters. Uh, but now he's starting in because of partly Dwayne Holmes's poor form and uh, a couple of niggles he's picked up. What do you both think? Do you think Jason Knight, how, how close is he to being ahead of Dwayne Holmes in the first 11 now? I don't know. It's hard with Holmes, isn't it? Because when Holmes is on form, he's quite a different player to anything else we've got in terms of that kind of explosive pace over five yards. He can really transition from defence to attack really quickly. But then he can be frustrating with his kind of final end product. And he had started to add that to his game before before his injury, before lockdown. And then he's come back from that and, and not being quite quite so sharp. On Jason Knight, I really like Jason Knight as a player. I think he's a, he's a, he's a kind of player you need in a, in, a, in a top championship squad. He can play in multiple positions and, and not let you down generally. You know, again, not, notwithstanding the fast back tonight. Um, he works really hard. He's, he's feisty, he's tenacious. He's got an eye for goal. You know, if he plays 30 to 40 games next season, you'd expect him to be hitting double figures, I think. You know, I think he's got six for the season now. So, and that's, you know, been in and out of the team for most of the season. So I expect him to be getting double figures next season. And I think, I think probably from that, he's not a really strong natural winger that's going to beat his fullback every time, but he can play in a kind of a, kind of an inside right position. And he has played from the left and he can play in, in a, in a midfield three as, as one of the more advanced players. So, I think he's one of those players that probably won't nail down a position for himself for for 45 games, but he will probably end up playing 40 games in a multiple oppositions and and do a job for you. I think think he's a great uh, member of the squad to have. What I really like about Knight is his energy and his tenacity and sort of get stuck in. He doesn't necessarily seem uh, on the face of it to be the the sort of great technical footballer um, and a great sort of passer of the ball in the same way that maybe Bird and and Sibley in the way that Sibley dribbles and and passes. Um, But he definitely makes up up for it with the work ethic. And what I would like to see next year is perhaps a a move back towards a sort of 4-3-3 if we can pick up some uh, wider players in the summer. Um, Because I think he would work really well as as one of the three in the middle, uh, like a box-to-box, almost Craig Bryson-esque. Uh, kind of kind of player and chipping in with handy goals as well. I think you're right, Kutch. I think it is six goals and I could definitely see him scoring double figures next year. Um, so interestingly, Knight is the one who really sort of like interests me from the position of like, I think he's ready for for regular championship football and sustained championship football. I still think Sibley maybe gets a bit, um, bit sort of found out and then goes missing in games from time to time um, and doesn't quite have this the impact that he has in one 
in sort of multiple games over a, co- a period of a couple of weeks. Whereas I think night, you always know what you're getting. So um, I would like to see him more central and I would like to see, again, one for another pod, see some width brought in in the summer um, and perhaps a, a 4-3-3 instead of a, a sort of 4 2 3, one like we're playing at the moment. Uh, but I guess that is for next season and it depends on the business we do in the summer. Bit of a mixed night for, uh, pardon the pun, for the uh, for the back five. I thought Keller had a good game, actually. Probably almost one of our best players, I'd say. Uh, made a couple of really good saves in the first half. Decent stop in the second to stop Cardiff getting um, uh, making it 3-1. Clark and Davis, not the usual centre-back pairing, but I thought Clark looked, uh, looked like he, he looked like he'd grown in stature and composure in the first half. He looked like he had improved since the, you know, on the player that we that we got in at the start of the season. Curtis Davis, you know what you're probably going to get from him most weeks. Uh, thought he was, you know, he, he did about as well as could be expected. Um, but with Clark Kutch, he there's been a bit of talk about him being possibly a shoe-in for player of the year. I know there aren't, we're talking about this during the game, and there aren't any natural walk-away contenders probably for that uh, for that role. I mean, you could even talk about Rooney getting it almost, and he's only been here half a season. But um, yeah, Clark has been in with a shout, and there are rumours that Derby are interested in keeping him going in permanently. And I'm, I'm not quite sure how that deal would work, because I'm, I'm just aware that it is Brighton, isn't it, who who bought him from Pompey? And I think they paid a fee for him and he hasn't actually played for him yet. So whether they'd be willing to to take a loss or, or part of a player who they haven't even given a chance to yet, I don't know. But would you be interested in seeing Matt Clark back at Derby next season? Uh, I don't quite get the uh, the huge Matt uh, Clark fan club. I think he's. I think he's. I think he's a solid defender, and he's certainly improved in the second half of the season. And he's and he's definitely had a good post lockdown period. Um, we've got Bielik coming back. We've got Big Dutch Mike arriving. George Evans can do a role there. Curtis Davis will still be at the club. I'd like to see another defender brought in. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's Clark. I think it'd be hard to to sign him from Brighton, as you said. He's he signed for them last summer from Pompey. Um, they've also got uh, Webster there. And they've got they've got a lot of centre backs, Brighton. They've got a couple of others on loan in the championship as well. So um I think Clark will probably struggle to get in the Premier League team. I, I'm not convinced by him, like personally. Uh so I I don't believe he's ready for Premier League in, in any regard. So he may well be available for a loan again next season, and that might be a good deal because you'd expect him to improve again. He has improved during this season. I think the only reason for me that he's involved in the player of the season chat is is purely by default. You know, there isn't there really is not another candidate um unless you start thinking about players who've only played half a season one of them being Rooney and, and you could Max Bird comes into that category as well to be honest um I I think Dwayne Holmes had a really good period after after December uh when when the team started picking up I thought if if lot if he hadn't got that injury and the season had been uninterrupted I think Dwayne Holmes would have had a real shout for play of the season because he did seem to start adding some end product that we talked about earlier um to his game before his injury. But I think, I mean, Clark's probably gets it from being the most consistent of an inconsistent bunch of defenders. And then the rest of the team, I mean, Tom Lawrence comes into the conversation for me. I mean, it would be bizarre for him to win it this year and he probably won't do for political reasons. But in terms of having an impact on the team, I think Tom Lawrence is pretty up there, but Clark could easily win it. I just, I just don't quite buy into it as much as some other people do. 
I think uh, I really like Clark this year. And I think the reason why Koku likes him is because he's a left footer um, and therefore brings a bit of balance to that back four. Um, as you say, he's on loan from Brighton. I think they've got a few defenders like Ben White, as you mentioned, um, from Leeds as well, who's in who who are probably ahead of him in terms of the pecking order at Brighton, uh, as well as having a pretty reasonable like uh, defensive lineup uh, already. So he's probably fifth or sixth choice at best. So potentially a loan spell, yes. Um, if we're looking at other centre halves, as you say, we've got Bielik and uh, big Dutch Mike coming in uh, over the summer. I- I'd actually prefer to see our money being spent spent elsewhere. Because I think you're going to be looking at three or four million for for someone like Matt Clark, and I don't know whether we've got the funds for that. And if we did, then I'd rather be spending that on a on a renowned goalkeeper or maybe some width and some pace up front. Um, I think that money would be better spent. Perhaps someone that I linked us to last year, and um, I've always liked the look of when I've seen him, Rob Dickey at Oxford United. Um, they obviously just failed to get promoted. I think he's ready for the step up, and I think if we're going to go in for someone who potentially could be a, a, a decent, solid championship centre-half from a lower league uh, team and one who could step up. I think Rob Dickey is the one that Derby should be looking at. Uh, but then again, I don't really know too much because I'm not a scout, but who knows? Uh, that would be, be my preference over Clark, I think. But in terms of player this season, I definitely think Clark's in there for shout. I can't really see beyond him, to be honest, because there hasn't been anyone else. The most consistent of an inconsistent bu- bunch coach, I, I agree with you there. Well, two more games for those players to uh, to make their final case for player of the year in this completely bonkers season and another half of this pod for us to talk about it we are still gonna have a bit of a chat about Brentford and uh, yeah again sorry we are gonna have to talk about goalkeepers don't say we didn't warn you we'll be back in a second hi I'm Paolo Wanchop and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's washing The wait is over. Our friends at Derby Brewing Company are delighted to announce that all their pubs have now reopened. The bigger and better Derby Brewing Company have refreshed their pubs with new menus and each venue is certified gold standard COVID secure. The Greyhound on Frygate in Derby has a low and slow smokehouse menu. The Brewery Tap has tapas style beer bites which are perfect with a pint and a pig in Litchfield specialises in burgers and waffles. Booking is strongly recommended to avoid disappointment. Over the top by O'Brien, Forrest appealing for offside here. Morgan's clearance, Ben Davis first to it. Struck goal, it in! Oh, what a finish! And it's Jeff Hendrick! The man that missed the glorious chance earlier. My, as he made up for it with that sweet strike. Terrible defending by Forrest. Morgan's clearance was weak. Davis in there quickly to pick up the pieces. Hendrick said, this is mine. Bang, goal. Ten-man derby. Take the lead with less than 20 to go at the city ground. So before we crack on, on Steve Bloomer's Washing, episode 89, don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast if uh, if you enjoy us banging on about all things Derby County. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify and SoundCloud. Just hit follow or subscribe and you'll get the latest episode sent straight to your device. Uh, before we move on to Brentford, Kutch, a nice to see a cameo from uh, a certain Jack Marriott, who we haven't mentioned for at least two podcasts. So I feel it's time to uh, give him his obligatory mention. Also because he uh, gave a pretty candid interview in the past couple of weeks on a podcast where he uh, he said that he's been playing through pain, basically, and that he had been having lots of injections and pills and medication over the course of the season to try and 
resolve a hernia issue, which they, they wanted the club to operate on. And they were going to at the start of lockdown, but then um, all the private surgeons got uh, used up during, all the private hospitals, sorry, were used up during the coronavirus crisis. So just a thoroughly odd chain of events. But how do you foresee the next few months for him? How likely is it that we can see the player that we saw in the first half of the Lampard season last year when he did look like a goal scorer? I think it's definitely possible. I mean, I... I think people know I've got my doubts about Jack Marriott um, in terms of his, you know, durability and his his consist you know ability to be consistently available. But you know, we, we saw him come on tonight, so he's obviously fit now. Can he stay fit for the next week and play two games? You know, preferably let's get him on the pitch for as many minutes as possible. If he's fit enough to start, I would start him um, against Leeds uh, because we need to know what kind of impact he can make. Uh, we need to know how hungry he is. Um, and if he can put any, you know, he hasn't got to come in and score four goals in two games. He's just got to come in and show that he can make himself available and, and, and play. And, and hopefully the operation has has fixed any problems that were niggling him. And maybe we will see the, the Jack Merritt that we've only seen in glimpses to date. Because you know what, if he can, and, you know, two games isn't enough to prove himself. Of course it isn't after being out for so long. But if he was to come in and show that hunger and desire, and ability to to play, then it could save us a lot of money in the summer. And and Cocky might want to give him another chance. It's going to be a very quick turnaround, you know. So if he's got himself fit, there, I guess the players will probably only have a couple of weeks off before they're back in training, if any time at all. So there's a chance to kind of you know hit next season running if he's if he's fit. So I I'd be up for giving him another season uh, to prove himself if, if he if he keeps himself fit. So you know, good luck to him because we do need. He's the kind of striker we're missing. I still think we need some more pace and strength, you know, out wide. Uh, I'd like to see us get a big, strong winger uh, who's fast and can beat a man and being quite direct. I think we really miss direct pace up front, and Jack Merritt brings that to a degree. So I think he'd be a welcome addition to the front line if if he if he if he's fit. And uh, I'd love to see him get as many minutes as possible in the next two games. Tom, I don't really want to dwell on uh, Brentford too much. Um, not the result we're hoping for, and to be honest. We were outplayed for a lot of that game, really. It was um, on the first 10 or 15 minutes or so, it could have been absolute carnage. Um, but yeah, Saeed Ben Rama was the man who decided it in the end. He scored a brace, uh, one of them, a goal that Ben Hamer will know himself that he should have done a lot better with. We're not going to dwell on that, I don't think, because we've talked about Ben Hamer a hell of a lot recently. And um, I think we, we talked about it before, and we feel like the conversation has moved on from that, really, especially as Keller Roos played against Cardiff but yeah you look at them you look at how effective Brentford are the model they have um, players like Ben Rama that they picked up who let's remind ourselves depressingly cost I think less than half what we paid for a Anya. is someone like him like a tricky two-footed uh, skillful wide player who can you know who gets you goals sets up goals is he the sort of player that we maybe thought we had in Tom Lawrence when we bought him three years ago or is that a bit unfair on someone like Tom Lawrence um, no, I think it is fair on Tom Lawrence. I think um, the season before we signed Lawrence, he was banging in the goals at Ipswich every single week. I seemed to flick on and see that Lawrence had scored and it was often a, a worldie from outside the box and he was uh, creating goals and setting them up. And I'm pretty sure Martin Waghorn was up front for that uh, Ipswich side as well. I think they uh, started extremely well and then fell away towards the end of the season, which was the limitations of their squad rather than actually Lawrence or or even Waghorn's fault. Um, so yeah, Lawrence 
Lawrence maybe hasn't quite been the signing that we would have wanted. And certainly by comparison to Ollie Watkins, I'd chuck into there and Ben Rama at Brentford. Um, those two have been absolutely phenomenal signings, like less than the cost of Anya for those two uh, and therefore Lawrence as well. And they, they've just gone on and on in their careers and like their their quality is is, is really impressive. Um, and I think Ben Rama's second goal was, was fantastic. The way he took the ball down, you knew what he was trying to do. He was trying to cut into his right. Bogle for me doesn't get tight enough, but fine, we'll let him go with that one. And nine times out of ten, that ball goes like way over the bar or is crossed in. Ben Rama doesn't even think about that. He curls it into the top corner in off the post. It's a fantastic strike and a great goal. You've got to hold your hands up. Um, and as you've mentioned, Chris, Hamer will be disappointed. He's a professional. Um, you saw how frustrated he was. And he's rightly been dropped because he made those mistakes. But um, I hope he comes back and I hope he continues to have a good career. But I just don't think it'll be at Derby uh, next season, unfortunately, for him. So I wish him all the best. He's on the plus side, Coach. We can watch on this uh, promotion race whilst not having the stress of being in it ourselves, whilst not trying to be too envious of teams playing in the Premier League again next season as Derby stay in the Championship for, what, the 13th season in a row, I think it is. Um Brentford are sort of the story of the championship really this year, whereas West Brom have just like ticked along slowly but surely under Billich. Um, also pretty impressive going forward. I think at the time of recording, if Brentford win their next game, their 44th game, they'll just go a point behind West Brom. So that race for second is very, very much on. From a neutral's point of view, which one of them would you prefer to see in the Premier League? Yeah, I'd certainly love to see Brentford in the Premier League. Um, they, they they deserve it. Well, we'll find out if they deserve it in the season because the league table won't lie. But in terms of the way that they run that club, um, they're very different from everyone else. They don't they don't have an academy. They put a lot of emphasis on good, clever recruitment. You've mentioned some of the great recruitment they've made in in recent years. You know, they've had to keep selling their best players every year, but they've kept kind of improving and challenging. And they play some fantastic football. Uh, it really really made for a good game against Derby the other night. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely backing Brentford, whether it's automatic. Um, I'd love them to go up automatically, but I'd also love to, to see them win the playoffs. And then if it, you know, if it comes to the playoffs, I think, I think, you know, West Brom, as you said offline, Chris, would be a bit boring because West Brom seem to be in, in the Premier League every other year. Um, obviously, I don't want Forrest to get promoted. I, I'm a bit bored of Fulham. I don't really like the way that they've gone about their business in recent years. So probably, you know, West Brom or whoever finishes sixth would be quite funny if, someone like Cardiff shithouse their way past Nottingham Forest and Fulham and West Brom into the into the Premier League. Very quickly, shall we congratulate Leeds on getting promoted or shall we just move on? Well, I'd rather they got promoted now than against Derby. <laughs> but I mean, in general, let's just move on. I mean, yeah, know. I mean, the one thing I would say about about Leeds and, and Brentford and even West Brom, if, if they went up, is that I'm quite excited that the Championship hopefully is going to be providing free, proper football teams who play good football, entertaining football to the Premier League who might give it a real crack. I mean, obviously, I really hope that Leeds get absolutely pelted for six months and Bielsa sat before Christmas because we can end the Bielsa myth once and for all. You know, there's no doubt they play good football in this league and Bielsa would give it a crack. Brentford would give it a good go and West Brom try and play football too, although I don't think Bill- I think Bill- is a bit more pragmatic. So I'm just, I'm just, I would just be really excited if Leeds and Brentford did go up then I think they would definitely both add something to the Premier League. And I think that would be a good thing for the Championship. Yeah, I would agree with you, Kutch. And I do think uh, I'd love to see Brentford go up. They've been such a great story over the last few years. And um, the the Minnows who have gradually uh, built that team up. And it's um, they're a fantastic side to watch. And Thomas Frank's done a, a great job there. Um, 
I also like West Brom. I think at times Leeds have been fantastic this year as well, which I hate to say. Um, and just to prove you wrong, I, I actually hope Leeds are sixth and doing a Sheffield United next year. And then I'll be laughing in your face in the Ramshack Cutch. Got no idea why you want that to happen. <laughs> I, I don't really. Just to prove you wrong. Let's move on, shall we? Uh, so, yeah, it's something that we did talk about in, in previous podcasts. And we, we we can't really do this podcast without mentioning it. Ben Hamer having had, as he did, a bit of a stinker against Brentford. Um, we're not, we're not going to touch on all the petitions and, you know, the, the social media side of it because it's a bit dull, really, isn't it? I don't think we can really add to that. But there's no doubt whatsoever that both of Derby County's goalkeepers at the moment aren't really good enough. Uh, for what it's worth, Keller Roos was really good tonight, as we've said. One of Derby's best players made some good saves. However, if you just cast your mind back a few months it was, uh, you know, it was Roos who was getting pelters left, right, and centre. Who we were demanding uh, was taken out of the team, and Hamer was given a chance. Um, both goalkeepers have thrown away the number one shirt over the course of the season, so we do need a new one. Um, at this point, I should, I should flag that there is a really good Twitter thread on this actually from someone whose username I have forgotten, but I'll retweet it in uh, at some point in the next day or two. But um, who do we go for then, Tom and Kutch? There's there's plenty of options out there. There's there's young goalkeepers, there's lower league goalkeepers. Do we go for a loan? Do we go for do we break the bank for like a marquee goalkeeper signing? Do we go for like an experienced pair of hands, like a you know, like a Joe Hart or somebody like that? Do we even try and get some squeeze some more juice out of Scott Carson? I don't know. Um but what has happened is we looked at some of the names that have been banded around and whittled them down to ones that we may think could be realistic. The first one of which is Danny Ward. He's had a few mentions. Um, played for Huddersfield in their promotion season, played 45 games. Hasn't really played much football since at all, really. He's played a handful of games for Leicester, his parent club, in the Cup. You reminded me yourself, Tom, that he actually got a £12 million move to Leicester from Liverpool, but has just been basically Casper Schmeichel's number two for the entire time. Um, so you do wonder how likely it is that Leicester would want to loan him out. However, he's a good age. From what I've seen of him, he seems quite agile. Uh, my in-laws are Huddersfield fans. They said that he was like good with his feet, good, um, good under pressure, like a really important part of that promotion side. Um, and he can play out, which is clearly one of the things that Koku is looking for. Do you think he could be part of the picture? Is he an option? Or if he isn't, Kutch, are there any other names that you can throw forward that you think might do the job in between the sticks for Derby next season? Yeah, it's a tough one, uh, Chris, because uh, as you said, there's there's different ways Derby could go, and and there's so much. You know, the modern modern goalkeeping is, is such a tougher job than it than it was. I think defenses aren't as good as they used to be generally across the board. Uh, I think that obviously there's much more onus on playing out of your feet, and and Philip Koku certainly wants that himself in a goalkeeper. You know, we've seen, you know, arguably the reason Joe Hart's career seems to have fallen off a cliff is because Pep Guardiola didn't rate him with his feet. And that seems to not only, which may well, you know, maybe I'll be fair enough, but Joe Hart isn't the best, you know, with his feet. I think he's probably pretty good, but, you know, not good enough for the kind of football Guardiola wants to play. But I was reading an interesting article today on, on goalkeeping by Jonathan Lowe, uh, Lou, sorry, in The Guardian. And he was saying that, you know, so much of goalkeeping is about mentality and attitude 
and persona and kind of you know almost you know reflecting that attitude onto the pitch and and Joe Hart's was kind of killed off I think by Pep Guardiola that's not a criticism of Pep Guardiola he just wanted something different and once Joe Hart's aura had been kind of broken he, he just seemed to have tumbled off so I think I think it's very tempting to want to go down the experienced goalkeeper route and just get someone in that's going to be solid for us. But one, they, they, there's not many of them about and they don't come cheap. So I do think we're probably looking at either taking a bit of a risk on a lower league uh, or a goalkeeper only with lower league experience, whether that's a goalkeeper currently at a Premier League team who's had a few loans lower down the divisions. I haven't seen much of Ward myself, but I imagine he comes into a similar category of as Angus Gunn, which was the player I was going to chuck in, which is it's going to be hard to get a player like that out of the Premier League unless it's a loan. And as you say, they might want Ward to be back up to Casper Schmeichel. So are they going to find a different backup to send Ward to get out, go out and get some games so he can further develop and be a replacement for Casper Schmeichel in, in the longer run? And I think that's where Angus Gunn comes in. Very similar, you know, head of season on loan at Norwich from Manchester City, uh, where he did very, very well, played all 46 games for them. It was in uh, the season before they got promoted, I believe. And then um, he actually got sold by Man City to Leicester for £13.5 million. So similar to Ward, uh, not to Leicester, sorry, to Southampton. Um, and he's kind of, he started the season with the number one shirt and then it culminated with the 9-0 loss to Leicester. And he's been dropped since then for McCarthy. But McCarthy hasn't been great either. So my Southampton fan mates think, you know, Gunn's definitely talented. He is good of his feet. Um, that is something that that that, that is there. And, and he's, I think he's six foot five as well. But again, would Southampton want him to, challenge McCarthy for number one next season or if Southampton brought in a new number one would they actually want to send Gunn out to get some games and McCarthy to be the the backup as he's a bit older so I think it's just I think those kind of signings would be brilliant I'm just not I think you'd be waited right up until the first game of season or even later to to get them in I see what you're saying there, Kutcher. I think there is a, um, it's a really difficult position to fill at the moment, goalkeeper. And there are lots of, uh, lots of the Premier League clubs have three or four goalkeepers, a couple who are young and then two who are quite experienced. And um, it's very difficult to move that talent down the leagues. And there are a couple in the in League One. Uh, one I've quite liked the look of, but only again seen him seen him on the TV. Uh, Nathan Trot at Wimbledon. Um, I think he's got, a pr- despite the fact that Wimbledon are a pretty pretty poor side they've been down the bottom of league one um he always seems to pull off a, a load of saves but he is he is 20 years old 21 years old or something he's paid for the england under 20s um but he's pretty small and he's he seems quite lightweight so um whether or not he'd be a good signing from west ham on loan uh, for next year again i don't know and if we're going to go down the premier league loan route are we going to go for someone like angus gunn or like um like danny danny ward for example rather than a youngster Someone else that are also doing the research on, though, I quite like the uh, look of, and this is this is purely through a bit of internet research. He's got the uh, most clean sheets in League One, basically that was it. Um, but he's also an absolute unit. Um, he's just over six foot, and he looks about ninety to ninety-five kilos. Uh, Christy Pym in goal for Peterborough. Now Peterborough have been full-flowing attacking football, but they don't concede many as well, and they've been they've been arguably one of the better footballing sides in in League One and. Uh, controversially were knocked out of the playoffs and Wickham, congratulations to them by the way, were promoted into the playoffs by the uh, points per game ruling. So Christy Pym again, another like I just mentioned with Rob Dickey, uh, someone in League One who may well be able to make the step up but there's there's not a lot of talent down down there in the lower league so I really think our goalkeeper next year could well be somebody we've not heard of and as you mentioned Chris, the, uh, 
the tweet put out about potential signings, um, three or four of those I've never heard of either. So it's it's interesting, but we definitely need a goalkeeper over the summer. That is our priority position for me. Um, if we don't get a goalkeeper, we're not challenging the top six. Yeah, I think I think we can all agree that's the that's the key position. I, I definitely just want us to go out and sign a decent keeper more than I think any other position on the pitch, really. Um, and I'm sure work is being done to do that. Well, we, uh, we're not going to dwell on those two defeats, so we're going to crack on and we're going to move on in this pod. Any other business? We can't really carry on in this podcast without mentioning the fact that the apocalypse must be coming because uh, Kieran Dow scored a hat-trick for Wigan <laughs> earlier today. Yeah. Absolutely incredible in their 8-0 win over whole city the thing i love most about wigan is just how much they're sticking it to their own owners uh, those players by hauling themselves up the table and making themselves determined not to get relegated and, and cash in that winning bet that that people connected to their own owners had on them getting relegated it's a it's a bizarre story but you have to give them credit for the way they finished this season yeah no definitely i mean i think that 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 is definitely still a rumor on that on that gambling uh, that gambling story. Uh, it obviously is extremely dodgy whatever's gone on, and 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 it's yeah the reason they've been plunged into administration isn't because the club was failing. I think financially they're in a relatively good position. There's obviously something dodgy going on there, whether it's related to a to a big bet or a couple of bets or not. But I, I, I'm really rooting for them. Um, they haven't got themselves into the trouble through you know uh, overspending or you know they have previously but that's not the problem now so and, and they've put together alongside Derby until a couple of weeks ago you know the, the two best teams in the league since Christmas so it would be an absolute travesty if they were to get taken down by a, a point deduction which they had not much control over so you know good luck to them and I, if anyone any manager that can get Kieran Dow playing well and scoring a hat-trick uh, is, is obviously doing something right. Coach I want you to be careful with this one um, before we get the Steve Bloomers washing lawyers on the phone, um, but couldn't help but notice that potential prospective Derby County major uh, investor Henry Gabay was uh, letting rip on Twitter this week. You were looking at that one, weren't you? Yeah, well, Ryan Conway put a story out uh, earlier on in the week, or last week, I believe, you know, basically connecting some dots and, and suggesting that Henry Gabay lent £81 million pounds to, to, to Mel Morris to help facilitate and pay for the, the stadium sale. Um now, from what I can tell, you know, Ryan, and importantly to mention here, Matt Slater, who is a very well-respected and knowledgeable business, you know, football business writer, he's written you know, tens or hundreds of stories about this kind of thing in the past, um, you know, have put this story together based on company's house documents. So for me, it, it looks pretty clear that there was some kind of transaction involved. Ryan then later added that you know, he's been told by a source, I would presume it's probably a, a club related source or a Mel Morris related source that most of that loan has been paid back. Even if that loan has been paid back in full, and it may well have done, it's still just, for me, the reason this story is so important, if Henry Gabay did lend £81 million to Mel Morris to buy Pride Bar, because it shows not even just how close a sale came to, to Henry Gabay, but also that he was already directly involved financially in the club. And we were, we were all a bit queasy about the stadium sale. We all believe that Mel's got the best interest at, uh, of Derby at heart. But as we've said before, it only takes for a few things to change and businesses to change hands or money to be owed for that can change quite quickly. And we've seen that with Wigan. So for me, it's just, you know, another word of warning that we need to keep an eye on what's going on. Um, if, if, if the loan's being paid back, great. Um, if Henry Gabay's not involved with the club, 
in my opinion, that's a good thing as well. He's under investigation by German tax authorities. Um, he hasn't been charged. Uh, it's important to note. But it just all looks a bit messy. And anytime we're talking about business dealings in football with companies with lots of numbers in their names, just makes you feel a bit wary. So I think Ryan got a lot of criticism on Twitter for for tweeting this story. And then you know everyone got excited that Henry Gabe had called him fake news. I'm going to kind of bat Ryan Conway and Matt Slater on this. Just because someone tweets you saying it's fake news doesn't mean it's fake news. Um, and he didn't deny anything that was in the story. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a good bit of journalism and one to keep our eye on. And I wouldn't get so excited by uh, by someone tweeting about it. Yeah, it's not as if he came out and explained why it was fake news. No, um, he no. just denied it flatly. Uh, but, yeah, well, let's um, distance ourselves from that one before we uh, get into trouble ourselves. <laughs> We'll finish things for this episode with uh, cheeky bit of trivia. Tom, you're uh, you're on duty this week. What what poses have you got for uh, for myself and Kutch? Well, I've uh, I've stuck with a where am I, and I've tried to take it topical for being an anniversary. By the time this podcast goes out, it'll be the fifteenth of July, and that is the anniversary of France for Croatia two in the the uh, World Cup final in Russia. So I've got a uh, a tenuously linked where am I which links to that game, France v Croatia in Russia. And the first clue is, I am exactly 100 miles from Pride Park. Mm. Chris, um, Swindon Town. It's a good guess, but it's incorrect. Catch. Uh, Stadium of Light. Uh, also a good guess, but also incorrect. My postcode is CH412PY. Catch. Chris. Well, Kutch got in there first. Go on, Kutch. Uh, DW Stadium? Nope. Uh, Cheltenham Town? Nope. That was the curveball I was hoping for with the CH postcode. Very good. Um, my capacity is 16,587. Kutch. Uh, Spotlands? Nope. I don't really know what CH is. I'm thinking it's Cheshire. <laughs> <laughs> Cheshire or Chester. Chris... Uh... Olden? Nope. Derby won 5-0 in the last fixture between these two sides in 2013. Cut. Uh, no. Chris? Go on. Is it um, Bloomfield Road Blackpool? Nope. Good guess. So today, the 15th of July, is the two-year anniversary of France for Croatia 2, and a Croatian scored our last goal at this ground. <laughs> There's my tenuous link. Geeky, one might say. So Chris? Go for it, Chris. You uh, got it. Is it Prenton Park Tranmere? It is indeed Prenton Park yeah. Tranmere Road. Oh, Igor Stimat in, I think, November 1995 in a 5-1 defeat. But he beat them 3-0 in 2013. 5-0 in 2013. In the FA Cup. Ah, okay. Last one, Tom. That was suitably tenuous and mentally exhausting. I appreciate <laughs> it. Well, <laughs> well, we are going to leave it there for that episode. Uh, we're going to try and return once more for the end of the season possibly with a season review pod uh, we have yet to fully decide on the format for that one but um, until then Coach thanks for joining us thank you very much and Tom thanks ever so much for your time as usual all the best see you again soon Derby fans thanks for listening 